Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, my name is Brad Alexander. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and I get to hang out with you all this morning. We're going to kick off this new series we're going to be walking through over the next several weeks, going through the fruit of the Spirit. Um, man, I just got to confess out of the gate, every time I hear the term fruit of the Spirit, I think of those like 90s Fruit of the Loom commercials where those guys are like dancing around the fruit, right, and like talking to each other. So now that I'm, you can just, you know, get distracted with me every week as we go through that. Um, but Man, fruit um, is a funny thing. It's something that grows, and it's something that shows up out of a result of just uh, something growing, right? And I was thinking about just my own life and things that I've grown in and decisions I've made, and just stuff that's kind of happened over the years. Um, and especially, I used to, I'm from this area, but we went and lived in Texas for about 10 years, and we moved back. And one of the first things I noticed that I just kind of forgot about was, man, there's like a firework stand every 20 feet around the 4th of July. Um, we were in the Dallas area and you had to drive like an hour out of town to buy fireworks and like keep it quiet and like go hide somewhere to try to shoot one off. Um, but up here, man, it's like, well, let's just do it in the parking lot of Walmart. Why not? You know, we're good to go. And um, anyway, it's just fireworks are a fun part of my growing up here. And, you know, there was a time in which I was in high school and some friends of mine, you know, we just made some great decisions revolving around fireworks. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, and this is you know, a little disclaimer. Kids, if you're listening to this, do not do any of the things I'm about to talk about because we were stupid. Um, but it made me bring this question, what in the world was I thinking? I had some fr- a friend of mine, he lived out, way out deep in Tawny Town, and we decided together, we're junior high school, it's around you know, June 28th, we're like, man, we should totally have like a bottle rocket war. It would be awesome. We're like, let's do it. We'll just shoot bottle rockets together. It'll be hilarious. And we kind of divided up into teams mentally, but, you know, there's planning and preparations for these things. We decided, some of us, unknowing that we were both doing the same thing, thought, what if we did more than just bottle rockets? Um, what if we used some other things in this bottle rocket fight that they wouldn't expect? And it turns out, there's these little things, they're called Saturn missiles. And it's like a box of Whistler bottle rockets without the stems. And they just whistle and pop, and they shoot out like 25, all the times we're like, what if we turn that sideways? Okay, yeah, you could like hold some of those or prop them up, right? And then, so we got that idea. We had bottle rockets, and we got the ones that were way too big that shit like exploded in the air with sparks. We're like, what if we shot those at each other? That'd be cool. And then, probably to cap it off, we also realized that you know, there's those things that are like single shot mortars. That there's a ball and the fuse is about this long, and you drop it in with the intention of lighting the fuse, running away. And watching from a good distance, it shoot about 30, 40, 50 feet in the air and blowing up, right? Well, they seem really familiar and strangely similar to a hand grenade. And we're like, man, this would be awesome. You can light it and throw it where they are and they have to run and then we can shoot them with bottle rockets. I don't know what we were thinking. Um, and I mean, 17-year-old male brain is not the smartest on the planet. Um, nobody got hurt. I don't know how. But there was lots of shirts with holes all in the back of it, you know, that we walked home with. We double up layers. We're rolling around in the grass and going after it and having a good time. And then looking back and being like, man, I can't believe we literally almost died. Like you were this far away from that mortar. That was hilarious, right? Um, anyway, man, just sometimes we make decisions and we're like, what, what were we doing? Why did I do that? What was I thinking? You translate that into now, I'm 41 years old. There's stuff that just comes out of my mouth that I'm like, oh, dang, I should put that back in. What was I, what was I thinking? Um, why did I do that? Why did I just walk right into that? Or the other side, sometimes there's good stuff that happens. 
Like I do something, I'm like, and then say, hey, thank you. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't even realize I was doing something kind. I didn't think about it. We got a house full of teenage boys and every once in a while, they'll walk up and they'll you know, give you a drink of something or like a dessert. And my first question is like, all right, what'd you do to this? Like, I was just bringing you some. Really? Okay. And I just wanted to bring you, I thought you might want some. Okay. Sadly, that's like the, that's not my first, uh, that's not what I think they're doing in the first place, but they're just being kind. Something comes out of them. They just decide, hey, I'm going to show some love. Um, there's this whole reality of, of, of our lives where there's things that we don't want to do that we do and things that we know that God's asked us to do that we try to do. And sometimes both of them happen and we're not really sure why. Where does it come from? And so we're kicking off this series about this thing called the fruit of the spirit. And this falls into this category in our relationship and following Jesus where you know, I kind of like to think of it in three components as a disciple, we're following Jesus. One is we're like following him. We're learning about him. We're reading about him. We're asking questions. We're trying to figure out why things happen, asking big theological things, philosophical things, trying to figure out why and what and where. And that's one part of it. Then there's this other part over here where we were like, okay, we need to go do something. We need to like, we need to go like help the poor or go overseas and share the gospel with people who haven't heard it. Or we need to um, um, love people locally who are, who are vulnerable, who are hurting. Or we got a service product. There's a widow who shut in and her house is decrepit. We need to go help out and be the church and go help out. We get involved in the work. So we kind of go over here and we learn with our heads. Like we talk, we've been talking about the past few weeks. Then we go over here and we start doing the work. But there's this middle part where we are being transformed by Jesus, where there's nothing that somebody can really necessarily see. There's things internally going on that are wrestling and being changed and being stretched. Stuff that you can't necessarily measure. And that is where the fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is changing us and transforming us. These are things that show up in our life. And, and it's stuff that's just part of being with God and being transformed by him. You know, and, and it's called, you know, Jesus calls it, or the, the word calls it the fruit of the spirit. This idea of fruit coming out of our growth and relationship with God is, is all over the place. You know, in, in the book of John, Jesus talks about, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And, and, and anybody who remains in me will bear fruit, will bear good things. Um, in the book of Colossians, there's this whole idea of, where Paul challenges to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing good fruit in keeping with what he's called us to be. Um, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is even talking about some guys who were false prophets and how to look out for them. And the disciples are like, well, how are we going to know them? And he said, you're going to know them by their fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A good tree, a healthy tree will produce good fruit. And a diseased tree will produce diseased fruit. You will be able to tell by the fruit. Healthy things grow. Transformation is part of what God does in our life. And taking our sin and our darkness and our rebellion and this ugly rejection of him and he redeems it and changes it into something that's glorious through his work. And so there's this, there's this principle in the New Testament that, that says that Basically, bearing fruit is just a part of following Jesus. It is a normal part of following Jesus. Bearing good fruit 
is a part of following Jesus. If we're following Jesus, then there's an assumption in the Bible that this good fruit is going to come out. It's going to show up. There will be love. There will be joy. There will be peace. There will be patience. There will be self-control, gentleness, these things. But then I look at that and I see that and I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait to see that happen in my life or I see where it is happening. But I also realize there is this tension that I, real, I, I live with and wrestle with every day of what Jesus is talking about and what my internal reality is. That there's this pull and tug that yeah, I want to, there's this good fruit that pops out, but then there's also this ugly stuff that's still there. And I thought that was supposed to go away. I thought that Jesus took care of that. I thought, I, you know, I'm still experiencing these things. I'm still acting this way. I'm still seeing this come out in my life. So does that mean that something's wrong or what? I, there's just this tension that goes back and forth. And so even though bearing good fruit is a part of following Jesus, there's also the reality that your life consistently bears all kinds of fruit. But the problem is there's still a lot of bad fruit in there. There's, be, there's still a lot of bad fruit that shows up. And for me, that, it gets frustrating. I get angry. I get confused. I get disillusioned. Either with the fruit I see in me or I see it in other people. And so I feel just kind of stuck with that. I'm lost in that. And so in this series, we're going to focus really in this. If you've got a Bible and you're going to look at we're going to get there eventually in the book of Galatians chapter five. If you want to flip there, look it up. Um, but Galatians is written by a guy named Paul. And, and Paul is somebody they call an apostle of Christ, somebody that, that saw Jesus and actually saw him. Um, and so that's why he's called an apostle. But Paul is this guy that he wrote a ton of the things that you read in the New Testament. He was an incredibly religious zealot who thought that the greatest duty on the planet at his time was to hunt down and imprison and possibly kill Christians. Like he thought that was the most holy thing you could do. He, and then there's one story that, that in the book of um, Acts where he's on his way to do this and Jesus has already died and rose and ascended back to heaven and Jesus appears to Paul and bam, he blinds him. And he knocks him, he's riding on a horse. He gets knocked off his horse. He can't see. There's this blind light. And basically Jesus shows up and is like, hey, Paul, man, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And this moment radically changes Paul's life. Where Paul all, all of a sudden understands that Jesus is real, that Jesus is who he says he was. And the thing that he was going about with his life is 100% wrong. And he needs to turn around and go the other direction. And in the story of scripture, and we see play out in the Bible, Paul becomes one of the most prolific missionaries in the entire Bible. He writes a majority of the things you've probably read in the New Testament. And all these letters that he writes are actually written to actual people. That was new to me when I was reading the Bible. I just thought it was like this book of collected wisdom and different phrases and sayings, but it's letters written to people or stories put together to show somebody what happened. And so this book of Galatians that we're going to look at was written to people who lived in Galatia. 
It was an actual group of people that was a church there that Paul's writing to and his real people that are having real struggles in their faith with real problems that he's addressing with real life spiritual advice. And so when we get here and we read this, Paul in this letter, he's he's writing to them at this point in the letter about this tension between this good fruit and this bad fruit, the work of the spirit, the the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh as he's going to call it. And it's this work that Jesus is producing in them. And if anybody knows and understands the struggle of doing 100% one way in their life and, and, and living with the tension of trying to live 100% the other way now that they're following Christ, it's Paul. He lived it, he knows it, and he's continually feeling it. And he's teaching the Galatians and now hear us in this. That there's a better way, a strong way with this war within to get rid of the bad fruit and to see the good fruit lived out in our life. And so let's read it here. If you want to put it up on the screen, Kurt. <clears throat> so at this point, Paul's writing this. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So you have this, this obvious contrast here. You have the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, all these things versus love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I look at this works of the flesh and, you know, some of us, I feel like, at least me, I'm going to look at this and be like, all right, I'm going to check these off and see, am I doing that? If I'm not, then I'm good. But at the same time, like a lot of these things, they can't be quantified. It's not like it's like if you do this specific behavior, these are like ways of being. These are modes of being. These are internal desires and struggles and tensions that lead to external activities. Then I look at the fruit of the spirit. Okay, do I need to check these off? Do I need to be doing these things? And then the list is just as similar. It's not outward actions. It's, it's ways of being. It's internal Realities that result in actions that I can see, but nothing that I can just quantify so easily. But, so the, the obvious question is, okay, so how, how do I stop doing the works of the flesh and start doing the fruit of the spirit, right? That's what we're kind of thinking. How do I do this? How do I get rid of one and do the other? Should I try harder? Do I need to be better? Do I need to do a better job? Stop being bad. Do the good, not the bad. 
the problem with the question is that that puts all of the pressure and all the work on me. And if I succeed, then I get all the glory, I get all the credit, and it's totally without any necessity of a relationship with God whatsoever. And then how do I know? Okay, is he being more loving? Well, I don't know. Did I say I love you to people today? Did I do something nice? Did I say I love you to my wife? I love you to my kids? Some people say like telling somebody they're doing something wrong is actually loving, so I need to go around telling people they're doing something wrong. Like, how do I know that I'm being loving? How do I know that? That I've all of a sudden transitioned over to that. So with these two things, the truth is, is that being transformed by Jesus, it's something that we do participate in, but it's not something that we can control. It's something that we do participate in, but it's something that we do not control. And man, as an independent 3rd of July American, I don't like that. I want to, I want to control it, right? I'm going to do it. I don't like having an open hand over what's going to happen. But here's the deal. Like, I can't measure love. I can't measure patience. I can't measure gentleness. I can't measure them. But I can be loving. I can be patient. I can't measure sexual immorality, but I can cheat on my wife. I can't measure envy but I can ruminate and stew on all the things that I don't have in my life that other people have and wish I had them and live in a state of discontentment. I can't measure strife or fits of anger, but man, I can sit around all day and look in the mirror and have an argument with everybody in my head that I know about everything they're doing wrong. Yeah, I mean, I can be aware and I can categorize these things, but these are things that just, they come out of somewhere inside. And they come from a place that's an internal reality that shows up in external actions. And those external actions reveal just what's going on in my heart. So what do we do? I mean, how do we see more of the fruit of the spirit and less of the works of the flesh? Well, there's a couple of ways I think that we make some good efforts and they're, 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 they're kind of an attempt to start pruning the branches, but I don't know that we get all the way down to the root of the, of the issue. And so I want to talk about these because there's things that we do and I think they're not bad things, but I think they're incomplete things. And so there's a couple of ways I think we, we, two ways that I think we fall short in trying to prune the branches. The first one is that I think we focus, over-focus on the external behavior activity. We tend to over-focus there. Man, I've got anger issues, so I need to learn some breathing techniques to calm down. I need to make a list of things that make me happy so that when I'm angry, I can look at those things and realize, you know, I have some things to not be angry about. I should be happy. I need to take more walks. I need to learn how to manage my stress. I need to you know, learn how to use a better tone and a softer way to communicate so I don't come across as angry all the time. And maybe if I smile more, my smile will interact with my brain and help me to actually feel better about my life. Like these, are, these are external things that we kind of put boundaries and disciplines around. Are those things bad things to do? Absolutely not. 
Could some of them help? Absolutely. But they're man-made solutions to a spiritual soul level problem. And ultimately they're going to fall short and they, they give us the control and they fall short and frustrate us. And we kind of, when we, when we slip into it again, we just feel like we failed because we didn't keep the discipline up. So we can overfocus on the behavior of the activity. The second thing we can do is we can call things a struggle or an issue and forget to call it a sin. We can get hung up and calling something my struggle or my issue and we just forget to call it sin. Well, he's got anger issues because his dad was an angry alcoholic and that's how he learned to express his emotions. Or he just doesn't know how to manage all the stress he's under and he's already struggling to keep up and and so he just has to blow off some steam every once in a while. And in a, in a healthy effort to dig deeper behind the external behavior and understand why we act out, we've stopped calling sin a sin. And we think, or we're not, we think we get deceived and think if we understand why it's happening, and that's the same thing as it being transformed. And I get it. I mean, calling something sin just sounds... I mean, it just sounds mean, right? But in both of these ways, we're either asking for forgiveness for a behavior or possibly making excuses for things instead of getting down to the root issue of what's going on in our hearts between us and God. Knowing why it happens isn't the same thing as allowing God to transform it. It doesn't mean those things aren't good. They're ways to dig deeper, but we're not inviting God into the process, allowing the gospel to transform us. We all do what we do because of what we believe about God and all sin stems from some sort of wrong belief. Lies we believe, something we think is not true and ultimately our unbelief in Jesus. And because we generally don't get down to the root of what's going on, we end up aiming at, 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 we accidentally end up aiming at a self-focused behavior modification instead of a gospel transformation that the spirit comes in and changes us and transforms us. Okay, I promise I won't do it again. I promise, hey, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna try harder in the future. Or we try to comfort, hey, it's okay, it's okay. Hey, just, just think positive thoughts. Don't be anxious. You're gonna be okay. Things are fine. I mean, all that, all that, response does is it puts all the weight of change on us, on our work, on our effort, on our ability. And it puts us in denial about any kind of just spiritual battle that's going on between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. And we don't need, we don't need more self-help. We don't need more denial. We need transformation. We need to be transformed by the gospel. We need the truth of the gospel to transform the works of the flesh into the life of the spirit. We need the gospel to come and know that we believe that God is our forgiver, that God is the one who restores us, that God's the one who redeems us, that he restores us. He has the power over the sin. He has the ability to heal us from the effects of sin. And when we only address the behaviors or we push people to just manage it themselves without changing and thinking through what are we believing, then all that weight falls on you, it falls on me. And rather than God to handle the brokenness of our life and handle the brokenness of the world. But instead we've got to trust in God's power to change us 
and to change the world around us. All right, so like that's a lot, right? Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Great discussion on sin and deliverance. What in the world am I supposed to do here? If I'm supposed to grow in the love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and all that. But somehow there's like, there's work that God's supposed to do, but I'm supposed to like participate somehow, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In Galatians, he says, walk by the spirit. And he talks about that leads to the fruit of the spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. It makes us like Jesus. It shows us where our life is off and where he's calling us to be and where he wants us to experience joy and vitality and love and peace and where sin is still resulting in works of the flesh, the bad fruit. So here's a way that you can look at what's going on in life and get to the root of what transformation actually is. There's this whole illustration. It's called, I didn't invent it, but we're going to walk through. It's called fruit to root. Looking into fruit to get down to the root of the issue. So put up the illustration if you can, Kurt. Um, I'm going to give you like 20 seconds just to look at this and I'm going to start talking through it. If what you're experiencing in life would be similar to like a tree that's growing, then you got to look at the fruit of what's going on around you. What am I experiencing? What am I believing? What am I feeling? What is going on right now? And does that match the fruit of the spirit? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control? Is it those things? If it's not, okay, then what is it? And then looking at that, okay, so what does that mean I'm believing about myself? Okay, in light of that, what does that mean? What does that tell me that I'm believing about what God's done for me or is doing for me? Okay, in light of that, what does that mean? What is that? What am I actually believing about God, who he is, what he's like? So one thing that I'm terrible at is talking about things that I'm going through, stress I'm going through, issues where I want to have control. And this is going to maybe seem simple to you, but for me, it's a real thing that comes up and I think it's kind of funny. So I want to share it with you guys. One thing I can tell that would be a spiritual fruit in my life and I can look at is how many bowls of cereal I consume in an evening. Legitimately. That I've learned over the years is a litmus test for there's something going on in here. Because I deal with my emotions by eating comfort food. And man, I love me some Cap'n Crunch, some peanut butter crunch. And you know, that second or third bowl starts to wash away that angst I'm feeling, right? So I'll look at that. Okay, this okay. what's going on? I've learned when I start thinking that way, even my wife would be like, hey, it's like your second bowl. Are you okay? Like that legitimately happens on the couch in our house. And it's, an, it's a realization. Okay, there's something going, what's going on here? Man, I'm stressed. There's something I feel like that I need to be in control that I'm not in control about, okay? So what does that mean I believe about myself? I believe that I'm supposed to have control. I'm supposed to have it all figured out. I have to have my hands on this, otherwise it's gonna slip through. So what do I believe that God's doing right now? I believe God's not in control. I believe that he has no idea what's going on. And I honestly, if I'm, if I'm honest, I think that he's ignoring this because he's got bigger things to do and I need to get this figured out myself because it's too big for him to care about and he doesn't really care about it. 
okay, Bradson, what does that mean? You're, what are you believing about God? I believe that God doesn't give a rip about me. I believe that he's powerful, but I don't, he doesn't really care. Okay, man, now we're getting somewhere. That's the root that's underneath that. There's this external behavior. I'm trying to control and I'm compensating for that. I believe that I have to be in control. I believe that God isn't in control for me. And ultimately, the way that this is bleeding down is, man, I, I honestly just don't believe God cares about this. I don't think he cares about me. What I've just done is an exercise of confession of sin. Not forgiveness for a behavior. Not understanding just why it's going on. But what's the root belief where I'm just not letting God speak into that and I'm ignoring him and I'm not letting him transform me in that. Another example quickly on that, a few years back, things got financially tight in our house and I made a bunch of decisions that put us into a deeper financial hole. And it put a ton of strain on my marriage. I acted autonomously, made decisions and got ourselves into a deeper hole of things that I tried to control myself. And I walked through this exercise for months and it was the same answers, the same questions. I got to have it under control. I've got to have it all together. I got to be perfect. I got to get it right. I got to put these things in order because everybody's relying on me. What's that? Put that illustration by Cup Kurt. What's that tell me? What am I believing about myself? That it's all up to me. That I'm the one that has to get it fixed. What do I believe God's done? I think he's given me some skills, but I think it's still up to me. I don't think he's involved in this at all. I think that if I'm shortcoming, I, don't, I can't trust him to show up and provide. So I need to take care of it myself. So what does that ultimately tell me I'm believing about God? He doesn't care. He's not powerful. He's good, but he's not gonna show up for me. He does that for other people. Then flip that on its head when we go up the tree. And this is where the gospel speaks into it. So who is God? Now that I'm confessing that is true, it's not really what I believe. That's not what scripture says. That's not what the Bible says. So who is God and what is he like? Man, God is love and he cares. He is completely sovereign over every detail of the universe. He's in complete control whether I realize it and feel it or not. Well, what has God done to show that? He spoke the world into existence. The Bible says that all things were made in him and through him. All things were held together. Most importantly, Jesus came in, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. And when it looked to everybody around him, like he had lost complete control was a moment that he was in the most control using the worst thing on the planet to transform and redeem all of us by dying a death that we deserved and raising from the dead. That he is 100% in control when it looks like all is lost. He did that for you and for me and for us. He very much cares. So who am I based on what he's done? Man, I'm his child. 
I'm his adopted son that he loves and cares for because Jesus and in him, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. I am freely and wholly loved, cared for, accepted by him. Well then on the fruit side, how do I live in light of that? And I can live in love and I can live in peace knowing that he has everything under control, that he does care, which gives me the freedom to unashamedly and sacrificially care and love for other people, to make decisions to trust him and to show care for my family and for my kids and for the people in my life, that I can rest in that. And the fruit that pops out of that is, it's peace, it's love. Kurt, put that last slide with the scripture on it. So Charlie asked me to talk about love today. So I got to talk about love for 30 seconds. This love here that's mentioned, there's the Greek word for love. There's like, there's more than one. There's like five, I forget how many exactly. I don't want to misquote it. I think there's like at least five. This word here is the word agape. Maybe you've heard it in a church setting before. It's not like, hey man, hey brother, I love you. Or it's not like this emotional, like romantic love where I just care and I feel intensely it's that way. This is the highest charity form of love. It embraces a deep and profound sacrificial love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance. Did I experience that in an entirely new way? Absolutely. God's persistent love and sacrificial love to me as expressed through my wife and forgiving me and working with me through those things. And it was the only hope I had. Me falling on him because of what he did for me, not what I could do and show up for him. The thing I was being called up to, changed into, and it has transformed me. So can I walk around and be like, check, I'm done with love? No, but man, I've seen that transition in my life because God took me to the root of the issue beyond the external actions or just understanding why it's happening. But what about God am I just not believing in for? And being honest with him about that, calling it sin and asking him to transform it over and over repeatedly. And he has been faithful on that promise. So as we go over these next several weeks, the first thing Paul tells us to do is to walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit, it's allowing the Spirit to come in, to inform, to change, to transform, to speak to the issues. Not just getting in a frenzy of stopping the behavior, but stopping, okay, God, what is going on here? What do I need to turn over to you? Help me in my unbelief here. Help me know your love. Help me transform. I want to see this fruit lived out in my life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being the one who loves us and transforms us. 
Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for your death and payment for our sin, for rising from the dead and defeating death and giving us hope, giving us a way. Yeah, we can participate in it, but we can't control it. And we, as a church, are just asking you, God, change us. Not just to be better, but because we will live it out and feel it and see that fruit produced in our life that will bring us closer to you, a deeper connection with you and minister to those around us. We need you above all else. I pray as we sing these songs, as we respond in worship by taking the Lord's Supper in the back or by giving or by praying or by meditating and being quiet, God, do a work in us right now and the rest of this week to allow us to become more like you change us into who you want to be based on what you have done for us already and who you are. Amen.